0: turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. Can kids be dismissed? Never. Yeah, kids can be dismissed. So I don't Thank you. You got one. my Sunday school teachers. Is there anybody willing to lead the elementary school? Thank you, okay. And their teachers. Children and their teachers may be dismissed. Perfect. Um, 1 John chapter 2. We'll be starting in verse 7. And I will read through verse 14. I would suggest you follow along in your own Bibles. He's sad because he can't read. That's what that was. And he won't learn. I don't know. Um, follow along with me if you would. 1 John chapter 2, verse 7. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have, have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which, this is, which thing is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you. Sorry, for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Jesus, we thank you that your word is true. We pray that in in seeking truth, in, in, in trying to walk in the light as you are in the light, um, that you would minister these truths to us in a way that we can't do by just thinking about them and reading them. Uh, however hard we try, these are spiritual truths that are spiritually discerned. So, Holy Spirit, come and open the eyes of our hearts, Lord. Um, I, I pray that um, that we would worship as we seek you in your Word. That um, the, the the truths of of encouragement that to give us confidence in our salvation would lead us to worship. That that words of correction that we use for examining ourselves would lead us to worship, uh, and that our understanding of these things, whether we are little children or or young men or fathers, or anywhere in between, that you would uh, you would give us your victory, Lord Jesus. Bless our understanding of these things. Be exalted in. Our presence, Lord. Amen. 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 Um, We have seen and we will continue to see in 1st John uh, that the Apostle John is deeply concerned about relationships. Uh, He writes about fellowship more than almost anything else. He sees the church as his little children. There's a relationship right there, father to son. And he cares about the kind of fellowship his children have with each other and with their heavenly father and with the world. The relationship with the world is something we'll start to talk about next week. Um, The internal relationships between believer and believer, brother and sister, Christian and Christian. He starts to talk about that some here with the language of brotherhood. And the relationship of these little children and God was discussed in chapter one. God is light. So walk in the light. Um, and last week, as we began chapter two, you know, he showed that beautiful relationship of the sinner with his Savior. Says, if anyone sins, we have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is our advocate. He is our propitiation, and he invites us to walk with him. John cares about fellowship. And we've sort of tracked the sequence here in John's argument. At the beginning of the book, he said that he was a witness of the living word, God the son. And he said that we are witnesses of, um, he said, because we are witnesses of the light, therefore we have fellowship with him. And then he said, because we have fellowship with him, therefore we should behave in a certain way. We should walk in the light as he is in the light. And then now starting in verse 7 of chapter 2, he's, he's building on some of these therefores. And he says, because we walk in the light, well, therefore, we should love the brethren. So, so that's where we're headed. Uh, it should be no surprise to any of you that John wants to talk about fellowship, relationship, these kinds of things, because John's great, big, one message is love one another. That's what John wants to talk about. And this is the commandment that he describes in this passage as both new and old. It's love one another. Look at verses 7 and 8 again, because these can be a bit confusing. They're even hard to read out loud. Like, he doesn't arrange the words like I would arrange words. Um, so forgive me if I don't read it with the right emphasis, on um, the right syllables and things. Um, but verse 7, 7 and 8, it says, Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Thank you for being clear, John. Um, This is weird, right? It's kind of weird. He says, I'm not writing a new commandment to you. It's something that you've known all along, but it's a new commandment. Because it is the truth which is casting away darkness, constantly revealing, uncovering more and more light. It's old, it's new. The Amplified Bible, which is a translation that tries to unpack some of the meanings uh, of the Greek in a helpful way and succeeds some of the time. It gives these verses their proper meaning here. It says, Beloved, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the message which you have heard before from us. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true and realized in Christ and in you because the darkness of moral blindness is clearing away and the true light, the revelation of God in Christ is already shining. So it's the same commandment that he's going to say, not a new one. Uh, It's not a new one. It's an old one. He's going to say the same old gospel truth. Give me that old time religion. Okay, and he's saying it is this old path. It is this ancient, eternal truth that is new every morning. The new, uh, the, the new truth of God's love. It's not new because it just got invented. It's new because it just got applied. Okay, um, the new Living Translation carries the same idea of this new and old. I'll read this passage again in a a different version. Uh, It reads, Dear friends, I am not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it is an old one you have had from the very beginning. This old commandment, to love one another, is the same message you heard before. Yet it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment, and you also are living it. For the darkness is disappearing, and the true light is already shining. When John talks about the new commandment and the old commandment, he's talking about the same commandment. And Jesus said in John 13, 35, and John wrote it down when he said it, uh, John said, or Jesus speaks, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. This theme of loving one another is the theme that John is unpacking, and he does so here by saying it is old. It is tried and true. It's not something I'm inventing. It's not something that needs to be discovered it is eternal. And it's the same truth that the apostles have been saying the whole time. It's not a new method. It's not a fad. It's not it, It's not something that John uh, recently published and he's trying to get his, it out there as a bestseller. You know, it's the same message that has been, that has defined Christianity since the upper room. It is the old path. It is also a new and living way. Eternal truths are the newest things in the world. It is the eternal mercy of God, His unchanging mercies, that are new every morning, according to Lamentations 3. Now Jesus said something interesting In Matthew chapter 13, Matthew 13, verse 52, he said, Therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. So is anyone talking about the kingdom of God? They're bringing old stuff and new stuff. They're saying, remember when? And then they're opening something up and saying, "Look what's look what's new! Look how this is for today!" And like we we can apply that to just good good teaching. You know, you're taking things that that are old, that are established truths, and then attempting to bring them uh, up to date. Not that they need up to date uh, up to dating, but that we need to engage with these truths now, not just as if they were dusty old relics. We actually, John said we've tasted and seen. We've touched. We've handled. we've You know, it's, it's, it applies to our lives today, as VeggieTales taught us. Okay? It's, it's old, and it's new. Um, sometimes the things we, we sing, even if they're favorite songs, they can lose the meaning to us because we just think of the melody, and it's just that song. Um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna say something. Listen to me not sing the chorus of this hymn that we sing. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure... How measureless and strong it shall forevermore endure the saints' and angels' song. That idea of love forevermore enduring the saints' and angels' song, if love will exist rich and pure in eternity future, then it is right to call it new. It's new every morning. It, it, it exists in, in, in the future morning, 10,000 years bright shining as the sun, right? If God is love, and John will say words to, to that effect, In a a few chapters. If God is love, then love is indeed very, very old. The command to love one another then is both ancient and new. It's something you have to obey right now, today, and it's something that you look at as the oldest commandment. That's what John is saying. When he he says that this commandment is new, he says that the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. You know, We've already spent time in this book, in this letter, and in our study in John, uh, we've seen him talk about light. Jesus is the light of the world. In him was life, and that life was the light of men from the Gospel of John chapter 1. Um, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, prophesied of Galilee that the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, Jesus is the light of the world. We're familiar with this kind of metaphor, this kind of language. And and John, who had seen the church be planted and grow, I mean, he was there on Pentecost. You know, he was there from the beginning. And and he's witnessed its growing pains and the things it's done wrong and the uncomfortable problems that they've tried to figure out. he's, He's seen its early failures. But now he still says, the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining where the gospel of Christ is proclaimed and men and women are brought into fellowship with God, and then those people in turn are given fellowship with each other in the church of God, darkness trembles. John had witnessed the coming of the kingdom of God. He had, he had been in darkness and then was brought to the light. He had spent his life seeing what happens when the light shines in the darkness. He, he knows the darkness loses. Now, I want you to believe this truth in the present tense. John says, I can say that this old, old commandment of love one another is a new commandment because I see that when it is obeyed, darkness passes away. That's new. New light is seen. When someone gets saved, that is a brand new creation. First Corinthians chapter five, the old is passing away. Behold, all things are made new. Now, I want you to believe this again in the present tense. Darkness is passing away because the true light is already shining. This is hard to believe sometimes just looking around the world you live in. And it's hard to believe when you compare it with other scriptures too. Like, uh, you know, you, you look through the New Testament, you see 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, Paul says in effect it's going to get worse before it gets better you know he says um, but know this that in the last days perilous times will come for men will be lovers of themselves lovers of money boasters proud blasphemers disobedient to parents unthankful unholy you're like oh yeah that darkness is sure passing away Paul and he keeps going unloving unforgiving slanders without self control brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty. And he's got his thesaurus out there. You know, he's just going, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. To me, that sounds like the darkness isn't passing away. It sounds like it's getting darker. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, he says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Yikes! seems that the bulk of the prophecies of the New Testament are essentially warnings about bad times that are coming. And John actually, in a few verses down, he says this is the last hour, and by the way, the Antichrist is here, so just come back in two weeks for that. (laughs) Okay? So, um, you know, this this is prevalent in the New Testament. Um, But John says here, the darkness is passing away. The light is shining. Both of these things can be true at once. We learn a lot about darkness in the book of revelation and there's this story in john's vision that shows how these two things can be true at once in revelation 20 you read of satan being bound for a thousand years Uh, there's a thousand years of christ reigning with his saints that's described uh in in revelation 20 and then after that satan is let loose for a brief time where he leads a short-lived rebellion against christ and it says and fire came down from heaven from god out of heaven and devoured them now in that passage without getting too far into the weeds here who's winning Uh, It's Jesus. Okay. Who's fighting Satan? When you read about darkness coming, the deception, the perilous times, Paul's laundry list of sins that are just going to get worse and worse. You're reading about a battle. You're reading about the fight and we're told that we're sent right into the thick of it. But when John says the darkness is passing away, he's, Taking the broad perspective, the long-term view of this battle, the more holistic view, did Jesus defeat Satan on the cross or didn't he? He did. Is Jesus the light of the world or isn't he? He is. Like we sing in the song, is he worthy? You know, does our God intend to dwell again with us? He does. The new creation is already being created. And the world that we live in now is under the sway of the wicked one. That's no surprise. But do not lose sight of this reality. We are in an age of grace. God has set this time aside in all of human history for the gospel to go forth and save souls. As Paul writes in Ephesians 6.14, he says, Therefore, he says, Awake you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. The darkness is passing away because right now, as we exist in the church age, the gospel is still being preached. Souls are still being saved. And then in Ephesians 6, 15, the next verse in in Ephesians 6, you see Paul draw the same conclusions that John does, that Christ's victory over darkness ought to lead us further into his light, practically and morally. Ephesians 6, verse 15 and 16 says, See then, that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. you see how John says the same thing in in verse 9 of our text. It says, He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there's no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Where Paul says, walk circumspectly, John sees sees this as walking in love towards your brother and walking in the light. What Paul calls redeeming the time, John simply calls loving your brother. Same truths here. Now, light and darkness, again, we're familiar with these terms. They represent good and evil and a lot of other things. But one thing that light is usually symbolic of is truth. Knowing the truth. Your word is truth. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Light reveals what is so that you know what to do. John here makes sure that when you, when you talk about light, you understand that without love, it's nothing. Walking in light and walking in truth have to be the same thing. Since God is love and Jesus is the truth, walking in love and walking in truth have to be the same thing. Francis Schaeffer, uh, he famously said that biblical orthodoxy without compassion is surely the ugliest thing in the world. He's talking about a loveless walk that makes claims to light. John says, as he has said before, if you think you're in the light, but your deeds are dark, you're lying. You've convinced yourself of your lie, but that doesn't make it true. You're a liar. Remember, the light is fellowship with God here. He's talking about relationship with Jesus. God is light, John has told us. So now he's saying, if you say that you know God, who is light? God, who is love? He'll write that later. God is love. Well, then if if you say you know God, walk with God. Love God. But if you say that you're walking with God and you say that you love God and, and you hate your brother, you're lying about that first part where you say that you know God. Yeah, you're just pretending. Those words don't mean anything you're in darkness. You've been in darkness until now. And he gives details. He says, the one who hates his brother does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. He even says, they've been in the dark until now, indicating or maybe just hinting. It's like, those guys aren't even saved, man. <laughs> those aren't backsliders. Those people haven't seen the light because the light has a transformative effect on your heart that fills you with love for other Christians that you can't make up. You can't invent it on your own. You don't just pretend and tell it it's true. God gives you love for people. He, the, Romans 5 says, The Holy Spirit of God pours out the love of God into our hearts. We are passive recipients. And we wake up completely surprised and blown out of the water. And they're like, how in the world do I love that guy? The Spirit of God working miracles in your heart. And he's saying, the one who says he loves God but hates everybody else? He's just, he, he's pretending. He's lying. He doesn't know God. Because knowing God has this transformative effect in your life where you actually care about people that aren't worth caring about according to your standards before. Now, this passage could be read in two ways. It could be read descriptively, or it could be read prescriptively. In other words, you could use this passage as just a description of what a Christian looks like, what a false Christian looks like, Uh, what it looks like for a believer who is in relationship with God, and then what it looks like to be far from God, blinded, confused, ignorant, and arrogant. It's all in whether or not they display love for other Christians. It's like a a litmus test. They will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. That's what Jesus says, and we believe it. We know this. But going through the Gospel of John, which we've done recently, right? Uh, We've seen that John, as an author, likes poetry okay he likes texture he likes layers he likes double meanings and things like that so it it is possible also to see that the blindness might not just describe someone who hates his brother but that blindness is the result of the hating And we touched on this last week obeying commandments it's what you do when you're in the light but also obedience is a means of grace that will reveal to you more light Works both ways. There's a real chicken and egg situation here. Okay? You're faithful in a little and then given much. Entrusted or invited to one act of obedience with Christ. And then you're given more light, more awareness of grace. Then he calls you deeper. Well, this section could be the opposite of that. Yes, the Christian who hates his brother uh, and who is in the Lord, that person is in darkness, perhaps not even regenerate. They're not walking in the light. There are sins that need to be confessed and forsaken. And of course, we see that, you know, he's just to forgive us our sins. But it's not just a method of judging someone next to you, obviously. They don't love me enough. It's a warning to the, to the readers, right? To the believers receiving this text. Bitterness and hatred towards another believer will cut you off from the light and you will be blinded. Knowing God is something that is done in part by loving other people. If you did it for the least of these, my brethren, you did it for me. How do you want to get close to Jesus? Can you get closer to him than feeding him, clothing him, washing his feet? You can't get closer than that. Jesus says how to do it. Do it for the least of these. If you walk in the light and know Jesus, you will love people. But here's the the chicken or egg part of the equation. If you love people as Christ loves them, you will find Jesus. You will find Christ illuminated before you in ways that you cannot learn through, you know, the, the textbook. Again, a major focus for John in writing this book is fellowship. Fellowship with God first and then fellowship with each other. The two great commandments, of course, love God, love people. They find a sort of commentary for us in, in the book of John. The two will forever be tied together. They cannot be divided, nor should they be. Which is why, when asked what is the one greatest commandment, Jesus gave two. He said, I don't want to give you one. I want to give you the follow-up so that you understand the first one. Loving God will prove itself through loving other people. Loving other people is evidence of love for God as well as a means to know Him. This kind of Christ-based fellowship with people is definitely where John is coming from, addressing the church as little children. And in, in this letter and in 2 John uh, 2, he calls, the, he calls his friends, his church, little children. Um, Jesus spoke to the disciples like this, and John heard. And he knew the effect it had on him to have a spiritual father adopt him in. And and he expl- Jesus explained to his disciples, he says, I'm going to your father and my father. Fellowship with God and fellowship with your brothers and sisters. It's one fellowship. And next, John is going to write to these children in what appears to be a sort of creed, um, a doctrinal statement that he wants them to remember. You'll notice in your Bibles that verses 12 through 14 are funny looking. Um, They're indented weird. There's more white space on the page than normal. Um, It's a different format, right? This is set up to be sort of a poem You'll notice this frequently in prophetic books um, and, of course, the Psalms, which are songs. And there's a very good reason for this. It's easier to memorize things when you break them up into rhythm. John wrote this piece this way because he is teaching a lesson that he wants them to put to heart, to memorize, and to recall later. Okay, These are their memory verses that he's giving them. And this little line of poetry addresses three groups in the church. Little children, young men, and fathers. Now, it is possible that he's actually addressing three age categories. You know, actual children, young adults, older people. It's more likely that he is referring to their spiritual age rather than their physical age. If you're lucky, they'll coincide. But unfortunately, that's not always the case. But if you take a look at what he says, it seems like he's reminding each one of a spiritual truth that, at, that is sort of at their level in the Christian walk. Something they can be encouraged by, something they need to be encouraged by, and take to heart. So first, verse 12, he says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Now we all come to the Lord like little children. Even if you got saved at a much later stage in life, you still come to him like a child. In fact, that's the only way to come to him is like a child. And when you come to him, you become his child. A new believer is a, what we call a baby Christian desiring what Peter called the pure milk of the word. And here's the milk that John is reminding them of. This is the entry level doctrine that makes a Christian healthy and strong right there at their new birth. Jesus forgives sins and he's forgiven yours. That's the milk. That is the milk. That makes new believers strong. That's the message John wants to give to the little children. And you see how all the talk about walking in the light and having an advocate and sinning and being a sinner and loving your brother, all of that can and should be seen in light of this simple statement. Your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. So be reminded of the milk. And then he writes to the fathers. He says next, fathers, verse 13, uh, second half there. Or first half, sorry. I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. Now, just because you came to the Lord like a little child and just because you will always remain a child of God as you know, your identity, this doesn't mean that you have permission to stay childish. The writer of Hebrews rebukes his readers for taking milk when they should be eating steak by now says, you're going to be a baby forever at this rate. You're not going to be able to do any heavy lifting. But the the church has spiritual fathers, Christians who have seen a thing or two. John isn't just writing to new believers. They're seasoned saints reading this. The patriarchs of the church, the people with the stories and the scars. And John says, I'm writing to you guys, the people that have been around. I'm writing to you because you have known him who is from the beginning. You have known. Or, or you might read that you have been knowing him since, since the beginning. They've walked with God. Because they've walked with God for a long time and known that the God they walk with is eternal from the beginning, they receive John's letter in the spirit of a gentle reminder. Chapter 2, verse 1 is still for them. Remember chapter 2, 1 it says, hey, I'm writing this so that you don't sin. No, the fathers of the church hadn't stopped struggling against sin. Uh, they receive John's letter with, with everyone else and, and you know, um, the, the other verse, if you hate your brother, you're in the dark. That might be for them too. But he's writing these things not because they don't know what he's talking about. Oh, really? We have to get along? We have to love each other? That's news to me. Why didn't you say so earlier? No. <laughs> he, he's saying, I'm writing this because so you do know this and they do know who he's talking about because they've known him for a long, long time, and John, in addressing the the older crowd in the church that have been Christians for decades, just like him, you know what he does. He doesn't rebuke them specifically or anything like this. That was for the whole group. Everybody, stop sinning. We good? Okay. But for the, for those that have a long testimony, he just has to remind them, guys. You you remember Jesus? Amen. You've known Jesus. He'll draw you back. There's this famous interview uh, between uh, Lee Strobel and Charles Templeton, where Lee Strobel was uh, able to sit down with with Charles Templeton. Charles Templeton was one of Billy Graham's close associates in Billy Graham's early days. They did revivals together. They preached together for uh, a few years, and then Charles Templeton abandoned the faith, rather famously. He wrote a book about it called Farewell to God, in case... You wanted any subtlety, you won't get it there. But when the interviewer, when, uh, when Lee Strobel asked Templeton about Jesus, he choked up. And his final words on that subject, after saying a lot of things about Jesus, but his final word was just like, I miss him. I just, I miss him. And I don't think John was addressing agnostics in his church like Charles Templeton, but he also knew the risk, if not for backsliding, then at least for bench sitting. You know, maybe not apostasy, but certainly apathy. It's like, you've been with him a long time. You know better. You used, to, you used to do ministry a whole lot, but then now things look different. And so he addresses the fathers who maybe had just become forgetful, maybe lazy. Or maybe they had just lost their first love. And so John says, I'm writing to you guys, the guys that have been around the block, the guys that have a testimony of ministry. I'm, I, just, I just need to remind you, remember who you've known which is exactly what Jesus tells the church in Ephesus, John's church in Revelation. Don't leave your first love. Remember, you've known him, the one who's from the beginning. Now, next line, still in verse 13. He says, I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. Just like there are new believers, just like there are fathers, grandfathers in the church, so there are also young men. The young men are historically the ones that get sent off to war. It's not children, and it's not the fathers. And this this is the kind of language that John uses. They are overcomers. They are the ones on the front lines of the spiritual battle doing war with Satan. Not that the children and the fathers aren't, of course. But John says to this group of people, you have overcome the wicked one. And Again, we have John's eternal optimism, his spiritual optimism. He sees the battle that is being fought as already won. The darkness is already defeated. The light has come and this message must be given to the one who is in the thick of Christian ministry, which if you are a Christian, you must be reminded you are in Christian ministry. The message you need to be reminded of, just like we saw earlier in this passage, is that Jesus wins. The darkness is gone. Jesus brings you his victory. So he tells the young men, um, those uh, in, in ministry, get, get you know on, on the mission field, doing the work, and he says, guys, just remember because when you're in the fight, it feels like you're losing. You don't have the benefit of hindsight, you know? And you're well over the optimism of just planning to do good things. Now you're actually doing them and it's hard. He says, remember, you've already won. Now back to the kids. We'll see these young men again in a second. But still in verse 13 at the end, he says, I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. So you see this poem, again, it's like a poetic structure. It's like little kids fathers young men, little children fathers young men. It's rhyming ideas rather than sounds. But he says, I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. The first thing he says to the children is this You're forgiven. And now the second thing he wants the young believers to remember you have a Father who loves you. Ah, oh, this is good milk, you guys. This is basic Christian doctrine that we return to and grow from. It's something we must, must teach. Every person that comes into the church, every Christian must have their doctrines formed on this basis. Your sins are forgiven, and God is your father. He has adopted you as sons and daughters. Now, verse 14 should sound very familiar. I have written to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. Again? yelp exactly the same. Proving that John is not teaching the fathers, the spiritually mature. He is reminding them of what they already know. And we need reminding. You have known God. I'm going to say it again. You have known God. Remember who you know. And then in verse 14 at the end, it says, I have written to you young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. We return to these guys who are doing the work of ministry at the front lines, so to speak, the strong, the overcomers, the ones doing battle with our defeated enemy. Now, I I know it would be easy for any of us to sort of gloss over this distinction and say, well, we're all fighting our own battles and just lump everyone into this category, uh, inadvertently ignoring the real heavy lifting that requires a great amount of spiritual strength. You don't put new believers in every ministry. Paul warns against being uh, too quick to lay hands on some. And we have models in in the priesthood and the Levites that there is a time to move from a certain type of ministry on to another kind of grandfather-style ministry. It's still ministry, yes. It's still a fight, but it is different. It's okay to draw those those lines. And you know, we could say, "Well, we're all God's children," and then we'll just have an entire church of babies. And that's not what we want to do. (coughs) Listen, some of you are new believers. That's great. Churches need new believers. For you look to John for these simple things. Jesus has forgiven you, don't you dare forget it. God is your loving father. Hold on to that. Learn those things and then relearn them. Don't despise the day of small things. These aren't small truths that you need to be in a real big hurry to get over and, you know, learn about, you know, something more important. You know, big big Latin words and things like that. Like don't don't be in a rush to move past those things. Uh, These are foundational truths. Make sure your foundation is strong. And some of you are fathers and mothers in the church. But we see all throughout scripture that there is a tendency in every believer, every generation of the people of God. There's a tendency to forgetfulness. Um, There's a tendency towards laziness and apathy that comes after victory. And your testimony of all the good things God has done before is still just prelude. It's still just getting you started for something. Um, in Ephesians, John's church, you know that's his favorite favorite church, the Ephesians. Uh, they forgot their first love, even after so much success. So in First John, be reminded. Be reminded of the lover of your souls. Don't forget your first love. Remember the one who has saved you and is still calling you to Himself. Now, if you do not find yourself in one of those categories, baby Christian, seasoned saint that's almost forgot, okay, then you are an overcomer. You're in the middle, that middle group. You have been called to wage war against sin, the world, and the devil, and you are absolutely in need of, of these remind, reminders in this teaching. You absolutely need to be sure that you are obeying your commanding officers' marching orders. There's work to be done and you are in ministry. But you need to look at your daily struggles as struggles against a defeated foe. And that's the encouragement that John gives to the young men. Now, what we'll get into next week, this next next passage, John addresses the Christian's experience with the world, how we overcome the world. And John makes these distinctions between these stages of the Christian life that are, you know, each fighting their own battles, so to speak. But to each one, he says, walk in the light and love each other. That's for you, no matter where you are. And I believe the specific encouragements actually bring us back to this general encouragement. Little children are reminded of the forgiveness of sins and their adoption as sons and daughters. If your heart is completely filled with the awe-inspiring awareness of Christ's forgiveness of your sins, and you are completely stunned with the gentle love that the father has for the prodigal known as you, then you know how you're going to treat those around you with grace. You're going to love them because you have been loved. Jesus says the one who's been forgiven much loves much. And that love goes in all directions. Fathers, the ones who have walked with Christ for a long, long time and they know the answers and they have the experiences that come from a solid testimony, a long life spent with God in ministry, they're told you have known him. The one who says of Jesus, I miss him. And has then returned to their first love. Remember. Well, you know how they're going to treat those around them? They're going to love them. You know because you've had these fathers and mothers have mercy on you, haven't you? You've had these people in the church be patient with you. The one who has a clear perspective of God's long patience with them. Again, the one who is forgiven much, loves much. And the longer you live, the more you realize you've been forgiven of. The one who is overcoming, who is strong, but doesn't feel like it. Who fights, but they don't want to. The ones who are living the active Christian life, growing and working. They are are told, you have overcome. The one who knows their enemy, who is literally waging war against the real enemy. These are people who recognize the value of the people who are in the foxhole with them. Fighting with people and fighting with people are two different things, right? Yes, yes. But any anyone who has been in in, anyone who's been in a real combat situation will tell you that the people who fight with them side by side are more than family. There's love there, and these young men are reminded who their real enemy is. It's the wicked one, and they're reminded of the state of their battle. He's already defeated. I am confident that if we as children and young men and women and as fathers and mothers realign our focus on the God who saves, on God himself, his forgiveness of our sins, his victory over our battles, and on all the years of his faithfulness that has brought us to where we are today, then the relationships that John is so concerned about, the horizontal relationships, will be realigned as well and righted. They'll take care of themselves. Our fellowship, our unity will be made right as we seek the Lord. And as always with John, who loves his double meanings and subtle paradoxes, as you seek to love the people in this room, you'll also find Christ. So it goes both ways. As you seek to serve the children in this church, actual children or just the young in the faith, you'll be reminded of the Father's heart. As you honor the testimonies and the wisdom of the fathers and mothers in the church of God, you'll find yourself rejoicing in God's life in them. Now, once again, we're finding that the fellowship with God and the fellowship with his family are inextricably tied. So as we close and seek Jesus in prayer, let's allow his spirit also to lead us to one another in love and service. Christ, where will you be found in the people in this room? We want to walk more closely with Christ. Again, the whole point seems to be getting to know Jesus, right? Well, the way you do that is in part walking in love towards the people in this church. That is where Christ is waiting to be found by you. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Oh, we love you. And God, we, we thank you that you are our Father and you have forgiven our sins. We thank you that you have called us uh, to good work, to hard work. You've called us to, to, to battle, um, but it's, it's one that has already been determined as a win. It's a win. It's a win for our team. We thank you, Jesus, for your work on our behalf. We thank you that we have known you. We pray, Lord, that we would continue to know the one who has saved us. And As we seek you, Lord, help us love each other And Lord, as we try and as we're we're led by your spirit to love one another and serve your family, be found by us in those acts of service, in those relationships. We know that you will be found by those that seek you. Lord, we are seeking you now. Lead us, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.